It is an honor and a privilege for us to be here with you to commemorate your 20th year, your 20th anniversary, 20 years of God's faithfulness, and 20 years of your faithfulness, 20 years of the sacrifices that you've made to see the vision of the Lord go forward in this place. And I just believe that there's a divine well done that rests over this house and over each and every one of you for this season. My wife and I have been praying, and you know, it's this is... I was sharing with the first service that this is bigger than a retreat for us because at a retreat, it's like, you know, you're just, you want to bring a word and get, but at a 20th anniversary celebration, it's like, what is the appropriate, like, what is, what needs to be said and how does it need to be said? I just feel the weightiness of this hour. And I realized as my wife and I were talking and praying about it, was that what I sense by the Spirit is that this is not just a celebration or a commemoration, but this is a transition from one season of ministry to another season of ministry. Even from one level of ministry to another level of ministry. From one stage of the journey to another. And that's why we began talking about the second half on Friday night. And we talked about the transition from visions to dreams. And then last night we talked about kind of... uh, the power to weep as like a a Jordan experience that you cross over into your destiny through the Jordan of weeping and and mourning what was lost. But now there's an openness to receive the next level. I'm not going to preach the same sermon I preached in first service today. So you got to listen to that or get that recording uh, because I believe it's important. But this is, this is something that, uh, The Lord just stirred my heart that the unction for that sermon I preached in first service is, it's over, it's gone. But there's unction on this message. I want to talk to you this morning on the subject of prophetic hunger. Your hunger is prophetic. Your hunger is prophetic. And I'm going to read to you from the book of 1 Kings chapter 17. 1 Kings chapter 17. Uh, I'm just going to start at verse 2, and I'm reading out of the New King James Version of the Bible. This is what it says. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Get away from here, and turn eastward, and hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and stayed by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Father, speak to us this morning, I pray, by the power of your word and spirit. In the name of your son, Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. The prophet Elijah, here in chapter 17 of 1 Kings, is getting ready to initiate a transition for Israel. A transition from their season of idolatry into a transition into their season of return to the Lord. And in doing so, the first thing he does is he pronounces a drought. He says to King Ahab, 
As surely as the Lord lives, there will be neither rain nor dew on the earth except at my word. So he makes this prophetic decree of a time of divine discipline for all of Israel. And then immediately the Lord speaks to him and says, now get out. You got to get out of town or else Ahab's going to kill you. But I've already know, I already knew that you needed this moment. I already knew that this moment would come and I've got a hiding place already prepared for you. And he told him exactly where to go. He said, go hide yourself near the brook Cherith. You're going to drink from the brook and I've commanded the ravens to feed you. Now watch this. This is like a five-star resort vacation for Elijah. He goes and he kicks, he sets up a cot by the brook and he wakes up in the morning and he drinks crystal clear water from the brook and then all of a sudden here come some ravens and they drop this bag and he opens it up and it's a breakfast sandwich from Starbucks, <laughs> right? With a nice egg and some ham and cheese and bread, you know? He's like, man, this is so good and he eats it and... And then he's just kicking it by the brook and enjoying this time like God is giving him rest. There's no running anywhere. There's no tasks. There's no memos. There's no papers. There's no sermons. Nobody to prophesy to. Like this is a time where God's like, you just get to kick it here and just relax by this brook. This is much needed R&R and supernatural provision is flowing into Elijah's life. Dinner time, the ravens come again. And this time it's like a, 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 a forced, like a, 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 a level four Wagyu steak, you know, uh, with um, like the marbling is just so nice. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then some like excellent sourdough baguettes come with it, you know, and he's like just, man, this is, ma- this is amazing. Like A5 Wagyu with, with sourdough. And he's just like, man, this is awesome. I get breakfast sandwiches in, in the morning and I get Wagyu for dinner and, and he's just eating and drinking and relaxing and eating and drinking and relaxing. And all of a sudden he wakes up one morning. Ah, oh, man, I'm so thirsty. I think I'll take a drink from the brook. And the brook is dry. He's like, uh, Lord, you forgot to turn on the brook. It's like, man, them ravens are late too. What's up with my, hey, Lord, what's, what's up with my breakfast? And it said, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Meaning, up to this moment, Elijah had been supernaturally provided for, and now the supernatural provision lifted And he's suffering like everybody else. He's partaking of the drought like everyone else. No more water and no more ravens. And the prophet is hungry. There's almost nothing more powerful than a hungry prophet. (laughs) You are the hungry prophet when God stops doing something in your life. What we do not realize as believers is that the things that God stops doing are just as significant as the things that God continues to do. That when God does not do something, he actually did something. 
not doing something is doing something for God. And sometimes a greater power is manifested in what he does not do than in what he does do. For instance, the thieves on either side of Jesus said, or or the, the one on his left said, if you're the son of God, take yourself down. If you're so powerful, take yourself down, not realizing that it took more power for him to stay on the cross than it would have taken for him to come down from the cross. Coming down is easy, but for God to die on the cross, that takes power. Sometimes what God does not do, what God does not rescue you from, what God does not stop, what God does not provide, what God does not release is more powerful than what he does do, provide, release. The problem is that we completely misinterpret the inaction of God and we immediately conclude something must be wrong with me. I must have done something wrong. I must have somehow displeased the Lord. And because we don't like to think that way, sometimes for a season, we continue to pretend that the brook is still flowing and that the ravens are still bringing food. I remember visiting this church when I was a college student that was in the headwaters of revival. I mean, it was crazy revival was going on at this church. And people were, there's, I went to this Bible college and people were talking about it all over. You got to go visit, got to go see what God's doing at this church. And I was so excited and I was about an hour away from our campus. And me and some friends, two friends one night, one Sunday night, drove out there to their, their Sunday evening service And it was the most powerful thing I'd ever experienced before. I think probably to this day, I've never experienced anything more powerful than that night. It was so powerful. I started trembling when I walked into the lobby. I literally, I was just, I walked into the lobby. I was like, Ooh, like you could just feel the holiness of God. And the, the, just the presence of God was so strong. And when I walked into the sanctuary, I'm just like shaking under the power of God. I'm like, Oh, this is crazy. And I was slain in the spirit that entire night. I literally could not get off the floor. I had no strength in my body. It was the most powerful thing I'd ever seen, I'd ever experienced before in my life. And I remember three or four months later, me and my friends got together and said, we got to go back out to that church. And we went back out there and I walked in the lobby and I was like, oh, there's no, oh, oh, that's interesting. It's just a lobby now. And I went into the sanctuary And there was no overwhelming presence. And I was looking for it. I was like, oh, that's interesting. Where is it? And there was no glory. But guess what? The people were still falling out and laughing and slaying one another and doing, and they were all falling out. And it was so clear that God was not in it. And the church continued to do that for years after God stopped doing it. Somehow we, it's like we got to just keep coming to the same brook and pretending to drink even though there's no water there. And so we drink the mud and we're just going to like, like somehow like suck the water out of the mud. We put two rocks together and say, look at the sandwich the ravens brought me and just start chewing on rocks and pretending it's good. Oh, this is the best sandwich I ever had before. Am you know, chewing on like snails we found in the mud and stuff. Pretending that God's touching you when he's not. 
Pretending you got a deep revelation when you don't. Ooh, but God didn't do nothing. You just went, ooh. That's the definition of the flesh. And for so long, the church has been content to do on behalf of the Holy Spirit what we think the Holy Spirit should be doing, but he's not. It's okay when God stops doing something that in and of itself is a prophetic moment. It doesn't mean he's left us. It doesn't mean he's abandoned us. It doesn't mean we've displeased him. It doesn't mean that he's left. It doesn't mean any of that. It just means that he's getting ready to do something different. Pay attention to your hunger. Pay attention to the places where you wanted God to do something and he didn't. Pay attention to those places where you wanted God to move and God's not moving. Remember my wife and I went to Indonesia and did our first crusades in Indonesia. And we were on this island, uh, this city on the island of Timor called Oisau. And there was a crowd of about 30,000 people there uh, in, in, over the first, the first city, uh, um, whatever, hmm? Kupang, in Kupang. And maybe 8,000 people that night, right? And uh, this crazy crowd and we were praying for the sick and almost no one was getting healed. And I remember after we saw just a few healings, maybe a couple of small healings, but no, no, no big, none of the big stuff happened. And at the end of the night, we were praying fervently for this blind woman and she didn't get healed. And my wife and I were a little discouraged when it was over, but something, something triggered on the inside of me. And I said to her, I think we should focus our attention on what God did do instead of on what God didn't do. I think we should give our attention to what God is doing, not to what God is not doing. Because it's so easy for us to fixate on what we wanted God to do, but he didn't do. And we completely miss what he did. And what did he do that night? In the middle of my sermon, the generator shut off and it was pitch darkness. And it was a dry sermon anyway. The Holy Spirit was not involved in that sermon up to that point. It was one of those like really dry, like this is going nowhere. And the whole sound system shut down. So I'm trying to scream at the people. Brothers and friends. And my translator's like, "Mm -mm, don't even try it. That was his way of saying, I ain't screaming like this. (laughs) They don't understand your language and I ain't about to do that. So I'm like, what do I do? And the people are now laughing because it's pitch darkness. And I'm like, this service is over. But I, we had learned this one worship chorus. We were in a church the Sunday before in Jakarta. And they were singing this chorus that we didn't even understand in Bahasa, Indonesia. Very simple chorus. And they sang that same chorus over and over again for like an hour or longer. And every time they sang it, it felt like the glory of God increased. And we learned the song because we were like, I don't know what it means, but God definitely likes this song. How many know that worship's for him, not for us? So I looked over and the youth choir was still there on the platform. I went over to them and I went, and then they started singing with me. And 
And then the whole youth choir singing it. And then the front row joins. And then 10 rows back. And then pretty soon the whole crowd in the dark of about 8,000 people is singing, Sbab And all of a sudden in the darkness, the presence of God just was felt tangibly. And then all of the sudden, after about 10 minutes of that, the generator came back on, the power came back on, the lights came back on, the sound system came back on, and the whole band was on the platform and they went, boom, doom, doom, boom, doom, boom, 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 and, the, and all of a sudden, I looked over at the youth, the youth choir, and the Holy Spirit started falling on them one by one. Bam, bam, and they start getting filled with the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. These are mostly Baptists, yeah. <laughs> right? And they're like speaking in tongues and worshiping, and it just got deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. And at the end of that meeting, as powerful as it was, we were disappointed because we didn't see the blind see. Or the lame walk. Focus on what God is doing. Not on what God is not doing. And what happens is. When God doesn't do something. We experience hunger. And we misinterpret that hunger. To mean that somehow God is not pleased with us. And therefore God could not do. What we wanted to see him do. The prophet Elijah wakes up. The brook is dry and the ravens have brought him no food. And he could have concluded, Lord, how have I displeased you? Up, yeah. oh, see, I got it in the flesh again. It's my pride. I'm spiritually lazy. I've been drinking and eating from the brook, but I haven't been praying. I should be here reading my Bible more. I should have given more in the offering. I should have served more. And all of those levels of the condemnation of the enemy that come when something that you desire God to do stops, when some level of provision that used to flow into your life stops flowing, when there's something missing and something, it feels like something is wrong and the enemy is waiting there with multiple layers of condemnation. And what the multiple layers of condemnation are designed to do is stop your ears so that you cannot hear God speak and provide you with the actual interpretation of your hunger. Your hunger is prophetic. God's getting ready to speak and say, Elijah, let me tell you why you're hungry. Let me tell you why the brook dried up. Let me tell you why the raven stopped. Because your season at the brook is over. The brook dried up because your season at the brook is over. What we want to do is find one brook and drink from it for the rest of our lives. And God says, no, your season at that brook is over. Remember when you first got saved? If you really got saved, you went through that season where all you had to do is just flip the Bible open with your eyes closed. And there was the very scripture that you needed. It's like... Whoa, that's exactly what I asked. Yes, got a question. Close your eyes, flip the Bible open. There's the answer where you just said Jesus and you felt it all up and down your spine and the hair stood up on the back of your neck. Like, ooh, I feel that. And then all of a sudden, one day you wake up and you begin to pray and you don't feel nothing. And you flip your Bible open and it's Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 12 or something, you know, something that makes no sense. It's like, what? <laughs> And you still try to interpret it too. Like, Lord, what, is, what does this mean? 
Leviticus 2.23, uh, the blood offering, what does this mean? Uh, maybe the Lord is trying to tell me that, no, the Lord ain't telling you nothing. That brook just dried up. You're getting too prophetic for your own good. The brook dried up. Elijah comes to the Lord and says, okay, Lord, this brook is dry. What's next? And God says, I'm sending you to Zarephath. And I've commanded a widow there to provide for you. I'm sending you to Zarephath. A dry book, a dry brook indicates a coming transition in which God is sending you somewhere. You're now going on a journey. And what happens is if Elijah stayed at that brook, it would have just been Elijah being provided for at that brook. God has more for you than self-provision. I'm sending you to Zarephath. I've commanded a widow there to provide for you. Okay, Lord, stop the presses right there because that don't make no sense. You've commanded a widow to provide for me. Widow, another way of saying widow is poor person. It's like, I mean, imagine you run out of money and God says, I want you to go down to, to the homeless section of downtown Hong Kong. I've, I've commanded a homeless person to provide for you. How encouraged are you by that word? <laughs> I want you to go over to Indonesia and there's a hut on Timor Island and there's a, a person who lives in that hut. I've commanded them to, to provide for you. Right, that don't make no sense. Elijah has to go on a journey of faith, trusting that the word of the Lord is true. Because the word of the Lord often doesn't make any sense in the natural. He journeys to Zarephath, driven by his hunger. See, that's why God makes you hungry, because hunger stimulates immediate obedience. (laughs) Right? (laughs) It's like, well, if I want lunch, I better get going. (laughs) He gets to Zarephath. He sees an old widow picking up sticks at the gate. And God says, that's the one. And she's the oldest and most decrepit widow he's ever seen before in his life. This woman is in bad shape. Looks like she hasn't had a bath in weeks. And she's picking up sticks at the gate. She ain't got nothing but sticks. When you see somebody gathering sticks... And God says, she's the one. What do I do? Go ask her for something to eat. Ask her for, God, you tripping. And God's like, no cap. (laughs) Elijah's like, I, I, I. Excuse me, um. Poor decrepit widow. Um. <laughs> um, could you just uh, get me like uh, a little bit of water? <laughs> just just a taste of water. You see what Elijah does there? And she goes, all right, I'll be right back. And she turns to go get it. And the Lord speaks to her. Now, now this is the NGT, the New Ghetto Translation. God says to Elijah, I told you to ask her for food. 
But Lord, I can't ask her for food. Look at her. She ain't got no food. Elijah, do you want my job? You think I don't know what I'm talking about? You going to trust me or not? You want to eat? Ask her for food. All right, Lord. Uh, uh, ma'am, excuse me. Um, in addition to that little teaspoon of water I asked you for, could you just get me up? Could you just bring me a morsel of bread? <laughs> Do you know what a morsel is? A morsel. It's not a morsel is not a biscuit. A morsel. If you just tear off a little end of the biscuit, that's a morsel. That bro asked for a morsel. You see, do you see how uncomfortable that was for him? How awkward that was for him? And she got mad that he asked for that morsel. And she's like, as surely as the Lord your God lives, I ain't got no morsels. All I got at home is a little bit of oil and a little bit of flour. I'm gathering sticks to go home, make a fire and make one biscuit. That's all I got left. Me and my son are going to split that biscuit, eat it and die. (laughs) That's the, that's the most depressing thing I've ever heard before in my life. I mean, can you imagine going home one biscuit, son, we're going to eat this and die. Here, here's your half, here's mine. Now let's wait to die. <laughs> and all of a sudden, the word of the Lord stirs in Elijah. And he says, don't be afraid. Do what you said. But make me a biscuit first. <laughs> but this is what the Lord says. The oil and the meal will not run out until the Lord sends rain on the earth. But you are required to take a step of faith. You are required to obey God first. You are required to honor the Lord with your substance and with the first fruits of your increase. You are required to take a step of faith. If you and your son go home and eat that biscuit, there's nothing on the other side of that biscuit but death. But if you sow that biscuit, you'll have biscuits. I don't know why I keep saying biscuits, because that's, that's what we had in the, in the hood. We had biscuits. Biscuits with gravy, if it was dinner, or biscuits with honey. Honey and syrup. That's what you're supposed to put on biscuits in the hood, is syrup. And not that fake syrup, you know, that, not that 100% maple stuff. <laughs> Talking about log cabin, Mrs. Buttersworth, that's real syrup. Anyway, my grandmother used to make these huge pans of biscuits. See, this is what happens when you make me preach five times in 36 hours. <laughs> the last one is just rambling. My grandmother used to make these huge pans of biscuits. I was a professional biscuit eater. I would grab two with each hand. And I could butter it and syrup it and, and wolf it down before my brothers even got their biscuits to their plates. 
Um, okay, back to the sermon. The, the Lord tells Elijah, remember what the Lord told Elijah, I've commanded a widow to provide for you. But actually, Elijah ended up providing for the widow. There is a symbiotic relationship between Elijah and the widow. The hungry prophet is driven to the poor widow. The poor widow is drawn to the hungry prophet. God says in your relationship, in your, in your stepping out in faith to minister to one another, I'm going to release provision. The first principle to be drawn from this is that when your brook dries up, God is sending you outside of yourself, outside of your circle. When your brook dries up, an opportunity to minister outside of your comfort zone is going to present itself because one of the, one of the things that keeps most believers in a place of smallness and lack is an unwillingness to step outside of our comfort zones. Because somehow we believe that one of the rights that we have as believers is to be comfortable. I talk to people in my church sometime. Would you think about uh, joining the announcements team? I don't feel comfortable. <laughs> you know, we got a missions team going to Indonesia next summer. Would you join? I don't feel comfortable. We're looking for some more small group leaders. Would you like to start a small group? I don't feel comfortable leading. I don't feel comfortable. Forget your comfort. Your comfort is keeping you in a place of spiritual smallness. Your comfort is cutting you off from the provision of the Lord. Do you see how uncomfortable that whole thing was for the prophet Elijah? The brook Cherith was comfortable, but God cut off the brook of the comfortable and said, outside of your comfort zone, I've got provision waiting for you. And the difference is, inside your comfort zone, the only person who receives that provision is you. And most believers are a-okay with that. It's just me and Jesus. Part of this is financial. You know, I hear believers say all the time, Lord, I don't ask for a lot. Just give me enough for me. As long as I can pay my bills and feed my family, I'll be thankful and happy. That's all I want. It's just enough for me. Do you hear how selfish that is? You think it's humble. The enemy tells you it's humble. It's not humble. Translation, Lord, everyone else, I don't care what happens to them. (laughs) how about this Lord grant me the power of radical generosity I pray that you would bless me with so much that I would I mean the greatest pain of poverty is the inability to be generous 
When you are struggling financially, the hardest part of that is you see so many things. Say, man, if I could give to that, I would give anything to be able to give to that. Ooh, I wish I had it. I would give to that. Ooh, I, because Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive, but that's not how we think. The way we think is, Lord, if I just have enough to pay my bills, to feed my family. And God's like, what? As if God has a limit As if God's on a budget. God's like, oh, thank God you're not asking for much because I don't have much, you know, good because I've been struggling this month too. And I was like, I didn't know how I was going to bless you and and these other believers. So thank God you're not, you're fine with just a little bit. One last passage of scripture, and then I'm going to call my wife up. See how I gave her a little notice this time? Because <laughs> every other service, I was just like, and yes. <laughs> no notice. <Just laughs> In Acts chapter 10, there's this passage where Peter, it says it was the sixth hour, which is noon. He goes up to the rooftop to pray, and there on the rooftop, suddenly he becomes very hungry. And so he sends a message down to the house he's staying, and he's like, uh, make me something to eat. An apostle's got to eat, you know, you know feed, feed me. And uh, so they start preparing food. But while he's waiting for the food to be prepared, he falls into a trance. And he sees a sheep being lowered from from heaven, full of animals, clean and unclean. And a voice from heaven says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And he says, not so, Lord, for I've never eaten anything unclean or common. The sheep contains both clean and unclean animals. Why does Peter not say, Lord, I'll eat the clean ones, but not the unclean? Because of the mixture. Even the clean animals are unclean because they've come in contact with the unclean animals. Peter says, Lord, I can't eat any of these. I've never eaten anything unclean or common. And the Lord says, what I've cleansed, call thou not common. And then the vision repeats itself three times. And then the sheet is taken up and he comes out of the trance. And as he's pondering what that means, the Holy Spirit whispers in his ear and says, there's men, there's Gentiles who've come to you. Go with them and don't ask any questions. And that's when he goes to the home of the centurion, the Roman centurion, Cornelius, and the Holy Spirit falls on his entire family and they all receive Jesus and they all get filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter's hunger was prophetic. He was hungry and he thought that meant that he needed something to eat. What it actually meant was God was getting ready to give him a revelation. His hunger was prophetic. And the word of the Lord to you today is that your hunger is prophetic. And at the 20 year mark, it's so easy to look back and say, remember, man, you remember those were the days. Remember year five when we used to do this. Remember year seven when God used to do this. Remember year 12 when this used to happen. Those are the days. Those are the days. There's all kinds of brooks 
that have dried up for any church at the 20-year mark. You can look back and see brooks that have dried up. And when a brook dries up, what we want to do is go back to that brook. And we want that brook to flow again. We want God to do again what he has done. But one of the things that God does not do is do again what he has already called done. Whatever he was doing in you through that book, brook is done. He called it done. Now God has something else. Now God has something more. But the something else is something more. It's something greater. And God is going to send you on many journeys to many Zarephaths. He's going to send you to the home of many Roman centurions. He's got much ministry ahead of you, but it's going to start when you make a decision. We're not looking back to brooks that have dried up. We're looking forward to cities that God is sending us to and to people that God is sending us to. God has much in store for you in the days to come and in the years to come. But you must recognize that your hunger is prophetic. And the hard thing for any church is when you feel that hunger for something that maybe used to happen in the church but doesn't happen anymore, you might start thinking there's something wrong with the church. Or you might start thinking there's something wrong with you. And neither are correct. The brook dried up. But that means that God is getting ready to transition you to the next stage, to the next level, to the next place and you're going to see miracles in the next level that you never would have seen in the first level you remember moses with the ten commandments he goes up and god chisels the ten commandments on tablets of stone and he comes down and his people are dancing before idols and he's so mad he breaks the commandments to pieces and you think moses you messed up right And God says, you got to come back up the mountain and we got to do this all over again. But what happens before the first tablets and the second tablets in between? In the in between, he has his encounter with God and he sees the hinder parts of God. He has a revelation in the in between that he never would have had had he not broken the commandments. Sometimes the thing that's broken is an invitation to the next level. Sometimes God restores and his restoration actually increases beyond what you lost. But at, in, in, in every way, you must resist the condemnation of the enemy. And you must resist the accusations of the enemy. Because when brooks dry up, we often look for somebody to blame. Sometimes we find many somebodies to blame. And other times we just blame ourselves. But a dried up brook is not an accusation from the Lord or an indictment from the Spirit of God. A dried up brook is an invitation. Because the one thing God never does, ever, ever, is He never stops moving, He never stops leading His people. He never stops blessing his people. And he never stops providing. But as soon as a brook dries up, that's what we think happened. That's what the enemy is right there to tell us happened. But the Spirit of the Lord is actually inviting us to identify, to recognize that our hunger is prophetic. That God has something bigger and better in our future then we're leaving behind in the dried up brook of our past. Amen. Now my wife's going to come.
Yes. If you could just all arise with me. We're 19 years old, our church. We're a year younger. And in the past 19 years, we had a handful of healing revivals in between years. All three of them, I believe we had three healing revivals, which lasted like a couple months to three, four months each time. Every one of them started when I got sick. And when I laid on the floor, once was my knee, once was this very terrible allergy where I, could, I just couldn't eat anything. And another time was my back. All those times, I would just go to before God, and instead of begging God to heal me because it was so painful, I would say, God, thank you that you're using this to release a healing revival in our community. That I took my life as a prophetic sign. And when I really saw, when I really believed that it is Christ in me that is living and not me, that's when we saw. Solomon's porch, you're a prophetic people. Your lack, your blessings, it's all prophetic for the kingdom of God. And so as, as the worship team, as we sing, I want to open up an altar and I want to ask you to take a step of faith. If you are sick in your body and you need healing in your body, I don't want you to come asking, begging for healing. I want you to come asking for healing, for anointing, for healing that God would use your life to release healing. If you have lack, maybe you need provision, instead of asking God, God, provide for my lack. I want you to come forward and say, God, use me to provide for people that are in need. You understand where I'm going? If you've been feeling spiritually dry, and it's like death to even come to church on Sunday. It's so hard to open up the Bible because you don't sense anything. Instead of coming to the altar asking God, God, please fill me with your spirit. Come on, God. Breathe life. Instead of asking that, I want you to come. God, use me to release revival in our community, in our lifetime. You hear me? So I'm going to pray for us. And I want you to... I want you guys to take a step. I feel like those of you that are going to come up prophetically, you are also a prophetic sign. As you come up believing for something more than what you need in your life, it's a prophetic sign. You're walking forward, believing. It's a prophetic sign for Solomon's porch for such a time as this. So I'm going to pray for us first. So Spirit of God, come on, open your hands, open your hearts. God, we come with open hearts, with open hands, and say, God, my life is not my own. And we come with another level of surrender today, that my hunger is prophetic, my lack is prophetic, even my sickness is prophetic. God, my life is not my own, and the life that I live, that it is Christ who lives in me. So Lord, activate this community today, that we don't live 
Spirit of God, Spirit of God, come on, speak to your people, speak to your prophetic people. God, you are activating Solomon's porch to another level of living a prophetic life on behalf of your kingdom, on behalf of the body of Jesus Christ, not only here in Hong Kong, but all over the world. There's somebody in Africa village somewhere hungry, God. There's somebody in the island of Indonesia somewhere, God, that needs healing. There's somebody, God, in Southeast Asia somewhere that needs deliverance. Somebody needs, God, your prophetic, your, your divine power to be released, Lord. And you're going to do that through our hunger, through our life. The people that are standing here in this sanctuary
that's also very prophetic for this house. Can I ask, this is second line youth. Are you guys youth, right? With from Elise, even uh, Emma and Hannah, all the youth. Can you just come stand right here in the front? sons and daughters that you have anointed to prophesy you have anointed them to prophesy so father i pray for the prophetic unction to rise up in these sons and daughters i pray father for a supernatural spiritual hunger to germinate in them today god a spiritual hunger that will cause them to seek you a spiritual hunger that will cause them to seek you a spiritual hunger that will cause them to call upon you father i thank you lord that you're close to them even in their young age 
that you're close to them, Father. That you're close to them. And Father, I pray for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit amongst the youth at this church. I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for a youth revival at Solomon's Porch, God. And I pray not just in Hong Kong, but in Singapore and in Beijing. And Father, I pray in every every, every congregation, God, every congregation of Solomon's Porch around the world, that there'd be a movement, God, a movement of the Holy Spirit moving on young people, moving on the sons and daughters, filling them to overflow, filling them to overflow. Father, I thank you today. I thank you today. This is the divine moment. Lord, we just speak a hedge of fire over their minds, a hedge of fire over their hearts, a hedge of fire over their bodies, a hedge of fire around them right now in the name of Jesus to shield them from every lie and every power of deception and every power of seduction that comes from the evil one, God. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we we just speak a hedge of fire around them, O God. In Jesus' name, Lord, be a shield about them, God. Be their glory. Be the lifter of their heads. And we pray, Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you would give them a wisdom that is beyond their years to know right from wrong, to know good from evil, to know up from down, to know left from right, that they would have a discerning heart and a discerning spirit, Father, that they could never be deceived, God. I speak your blessing over them today in Jesus' precious, holy, mighty name. Yes, God.
Cause his face to shine upon you and to be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Shalom from this day forever. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. We love you guys. God bless you. Uh, if you need any extra prayer, come up to the front. Our one minister will pray for you. Right? Let's go home. We'll see you guys. at 5 o'clock at AMC. Please buy some raffle tickets and support our missions. All right? Hallelujah. God bless you guys.